The Wentworth Douglas Hospital Portsmouth Outpatient Center provides this community with innovative treatments, top doctors and nurses, and an ever-expanding list of services. Learn more at wdhospital.org slash Portsmouth and experience better. This is Alex Lacasse, Seacoast Online. We're taking a look back at the disappearance of Tammy Belanger, who, who disappeared walking to school November 13th, 1984. We're joined by Exeter Police Chief uh, Stefan Poulin, who took over the cold case investigation uh, into Belanger's disappearance in 2013, and uh, former Exeter Detective Jim Valiquet, who uh, left the Exeter Police in 1991 and went on to become the chief of Newberry, New Hampshire, and the uh, part-time chief of uh, Bradford. Uh, he's re since retired full-time and is now remaining as the part-time chief in Bradford. Uh, <laughs> both of you, uh, thank you for joining me. Um, I, I guess, Jim, if you'd let me start with you, uh, could you please just uh, give me a sense um, from serving in law enforcement here in Exeter, just uh, what the community was like in the years, months leading into uh, or before uh, Tammy disappeared? Exeter is basically a bedroom community. It has Phillips Exeter Academy, so it's fairly affluential. Um, there's a lot of doctors, lawyers, and professional educators that live in town. Um, so while it was somewhat because of the mill at the time, uh, blue collar, there was a lot of professional people in town, but it was still a small community uh, by standards. So I think we were, I think we were considered a bedroom committee to, a community to Boston and that type of thing. Um, and a fairly large New Hampshire township. I think at one time we actually talked about going to be uh, certified as a city instead of a town. Um, and it never, never happened. But I mean, that's the cusp. Um, so we have a, we had a lot of um, youth in town during the day because all the schools at that time were located in the town of Exeter. You, know, you had the high school, the junior high school, um, Main Street School, Lincoln Street School. Um, so there were a lot of different schools. I think at that time, School Street School was still functioning. Um, so we had a, 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 a big student population in town. Um, so that was a real concern for law enforcement in the community. Okay, and uh, I guess now uh, flashing back to November 13th, 1984, can you just talk about just uh, what that morning was like and kind of when you first got word that there was uh, a missing student? It was a cloudy day. Um, I can tell you that Chief Carasiola, Lieutenant Gilmore, and myself were at the library that morning. We were talking with the business community about bad checks and that type of thing. I did a presentation. Um, later on that day is when we found out that uh, Tammy had not gone home. Um, and unfortunately, that's, uh, you know, that was long after not showing up for school. Uh, and, and since then, uh, reporting has changed, so um, that's just the way things were routinely uh, back then. Um, but th we were 
we were behind time as far as an initial search and investigation was concerned. Absolutely. And I guess I'll turn to both of you. In any kind of missing person uh, report, um, I, I guess just how critical is that uh, essence of time when you, you, you first learn of a disappearance and then I, I guess in this case when you're finding out that you're kind of at least six, eight hours behind? I, I think it's public knowledge that, I mean, if you go to, is it TNT or TBS or whatever, um, National Geographic, one of them does 48 hours and that the real key is to be doing something within the first 48 hours because after that things start to stale, uh, memories start to fall off. Um, so I think it's key no matter what we do, whether it's reacting to a threat, to discovery of uh, a crime, the sooner law enforcement knows about it, the better our chances are of discovering evidence. Well, absolutely, uh, time is of the essence, and uh, the quicker you can get uh, any kind of witness or evidence trail or, or anything to point to what has happened is, is crucial. I guess when you think about that, looking at this case, um, do you think you might have had a different resolution uh, if some of these reporting protocols that went into effect pretty much right after it um, had been in place? And, terms of students having, students' parents having to call in to report their child absent? I, I, I think that's an unfair question in that all we can speculate is that we would have certainly had a better chance. Mm -hmm. And so, Jim, maybe you could just talk about, um, once you get this report of Tammy missing, just a, what were those initial steps in kind of forming this search? Well, the search was conducted by my superiors at the time, and they assigned people that knew the town. I grew up in Exeter, so I was assigned a search team. Um, but we did, I mean, that was the immediate response. And I'm going to say 4 or 5 o'clock, it was dark, um, and we started right from the house and did a, a grid search, um, taking in two, three blocks at a time. Um, going in that direction, but we did so much more. I mean, we uh, that week when the trash was picked up along that path, we took all the trash and put it in the highway department and went through all the trash just to, to look for that. We not only called state police, but Manchester police came down the next day and assisted in physical searches that we conducted. We were opening manhole covers, we were looking in dumpsters, we were um, knocking on doors. Um, we were interviewing people along the path, um, the her normal path. Um, we got the FBI involved. We went as far as getting profilers up here. Um, so we, I think we didn't spare any any opportunity that we had to get some some real talent in here. Um, Charlie Walsh, with the, at the time the FBI, he was one of their key people. Had been all over the world in evidence, in securing evidence. He was here uh, and assisted us in a number of different leads. Um, we had Dick Dennis, uh, who was at the time the SAC in Boston, was here for three, four days assisting. Uh, Major Crimes Lieutenant Marty Heehan was here, and he worked right here for two, three weeks. Um, and we had investigators out of Troop A that were actually assigned here. Um, so we didn't pull, and the state of New Hampshire and the federal government, I don't think, pulled any 
any um, you know lines or pulled back on anything we we uh, we actually you know really went out as far as we could and explored you know we got the state involved in probation parole and checked you know offenders in the area we didn't have this the 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 violators list that you have now, the sex offender list. So we could say, okay, we know so-and-so, so-and-so, and so-and-so, we're in close proximity. Um, we didn't have that type of thing. We didn't know that there were offenders who may be working in town. So we couldn't go to that employer and say, hey, did this guy show up today? Um, all that would have been so much better, and it's in place now. We learned inherently, not necessarily from this case, but the fact that law enforcement, I think, has improved drastically. But not only law enforcement, you carry in hand now, you know, cell phones and social media. You can get instantaneous reporting by citizen journalists on a spur of a moment. If they see something, they're reporting it, and the next thing you know, they're forwarding it to law enforcement. Um, or they're forwarding it to their Facebook page or whatever. Um, information right now is so much faster and would that have made a difference obviously it potentially would have uh i think uh, i went out and bought and i actually brought it with me today so you can see we went out at night and i said that when we did the search and whatnot but i can you can go out now and buy something like this he holds up an infrared scope and if you look at it you can see he's giving you a heat sink. Um, yeah, you can hold it out here and look at it. You don't have to put it up to your eye. Do you see him? But it's just as yes. A, okay, so you can see a heat signature. Um, and guys can carry that. I keep that in the crew. Turn it around, uh, Stefan. And you can see. So if I go out at night and I'm answering a call at a house and I want to check the area, but it's dark. Um, I don't have to let somebody else know that I'm there. I can hold that up and see if there's anything in the in the wood line or uh, a threat. So that night we could have searched even quicker just looking for heat signatures. Absolutely. Uh, so, you know, and that's why I say today, 35 years later, could we have stood a better chance? I think so. As you've probably read in reports, um, there has been a great deal of speculation from retired law enforcement from this agency um, and just kind of the, the national narrative that has taken place in the uh, d decades following Tammy's disappearance. Um, uh, maybe you could just talk about um, why certain suspects rose to the top and then maybe why one stood out back then more than others. Anytime that you have a crime and you can put a person um, at the location, um, and in this case we're talking like there's 1,500 miles between here and, and another location where there was a disappearance, and you can put that same person in that location, they become a person of interest. And, I, and without getting into more um, details, because I, I think we're under some limitations, um, that's the type of thing we were trying to fit together and put the puzzle together and um, come up with a, a legitimate suspect and legitimate um, 
result? No. I was told that one of these suspects was questioned by FBI for eight hours. And was this department or New Hampshire State Police part of this in interrogation? There were people that were interviewed. I'm not aware of anybody who was interviewed for eight hours at one time. All the interviews were conducted here in the interview room. Um, we had both state police, FBI, uh, we even had profilers uh, who specialize in behavioral science who uh, assisted us in, in interviews. So uh, without specifically getting into who was interviewed about what, um, my guess is there was probably 100 interviews that were done, um, both of people of interest and in support of investigations surrounding those people. Um, so there wasn't anybody that was interrogated, quote unquote, for eight hours. Okay. Along with that, why do you think you weren't able to make arrests in this case? A lot in part was that we were never able to discover what happened. Um, there was no absolute evidence. Um, even hair fiber right now would be so much more drastic information. The, uh, at the time, we could compare hair follicles, hair itself, but to do DNA, it was just coming out. We had to have the follicle, that's the little white thing on the end. Um, and if you didn't have that, all they could do was compare in diameter, in color, and any kind of additive. Like if um, someone was bleaching their hair or dyeing their hair, that would have a change and that might be something along with the makeup of the hair and the diameter of the hair would make it say, you'd be able to say, okay, one in 150,000, this is a definite match. Um, we didn't, that's where we were at that time. Now, and it's very recent because I just asked New Hampshire if they're doing it yet, uh, there's a college in California that has had that breakthrough and being able, being able to extract from hair itself, old hair, um, DNA. So, you know, now they can take a hair fiber without the follicle and extract DNA and they're having some success. I think they just did it for an agency out that way on the West Coast and were able to solve them an old case. So, um, science and technology is, is just spinning around us and we're trying to keep up with it. And so our people that are in the field stay current with what to collect and what not to let go by. I mean, um, it was just, it's, it's so much more technical now, um, you know, the, these guys out on the street almost have to have a, um, a major degree in physics and chemistry before, you know, they can hit the streets anymore and then be able to talk people out of uh, um, stressful times and it really has become a, a difficult position. Absolutely. You kind of pretty much answered my next question, but um, uh, I'll, I'll get Chief Poulin's just thoughts as well. Um, I, I wanted to ask kind of what the state of forensics testing was back in 1984, and you did a great job answering that, Jim. Um, I, I guess even if this disappearance had happened even a decade later, 15 years later, um, do either of you think that you, this 
the technology at the time would have allowed you to maybe make an arrest? I think times have changed so much and, and for the better for law enforcement, especially uh, as Chief Allocate mentioned, social media. Uh, you, then you're talking about GPS ability on cell phones that people are carrying. Uh, a lot of students are carrying them now. Um, you're talking about evidence collection um, enhancements and just how that was done. Uh, light years, 35 years ago, never mind 10, 15 years ago. Um, obviously DNA, huge impact in, in what we can come across with those findings. Um, databases, uh, federal, state, local sharing, intelligence sharing, all those things uh, could have come into play and, and helped us um, at that time if we had had it. Um, but, and, and of course, we talked about this, the importance of reporting when students aren't at school and how that needs to be quickly um, because time is of the essence in that. We talk about so much that, that the public uses social media you know, and, and someone sees something out here, they photograph it, and the next thing you know, it's almost real time out on, on the social media network. Law enforcement has to learn how to use that social media, get the public vested in that as a source for information. And I mean, just think about what you can find out from, from an emergency. Let's say a hurricane was coming into the area and people want to know where, whether they should shelter in place, whether they should evacuate, what's the river doing, is it overflowing and whatnot. If, if this agency or public safety in the town of Exeter has a social media page and they're feeding that information into it, you don't have to worry about turning the radio on, what, you know, watching TV and getting the, uh, you know, the test net, the early warning thing. Uh, social media has really spun, done a, a big spin on the movement of, of data and information. And I think that would have been a, a major, major uh, asset back then. Um, even though people knew about it, it hit the town very hard and it was very, pretty quick then. Um, nothing compared to what would have happened had it had, it, had an early notice and you know instead of four or five o'clock at night and you're getting started and just then beginning to absorb what's going on and what's happening you change that to nine o'clock in the morning you're six hours ahead and you're putting that out on social media now all of a sudden people are looking for things and what a difference that would, could potentially make you have uh, you have amber alerts now yep. you have uh, national center for missing and exploited children you have a lot of uh, resources now in place to, to assist. Chief Poulin, I'll turn to you. Um, when you first started in Exeter, d did you feel like this Blander case was still hanging over the town and still kind of haunting folks? Oh, it's, it still does to this day uh, in the officers that work here. Um, we would love nothing better or more than to give closure to the family and to be able to solve this um, in one way or another. And we are still taking tips on the case, and we still look into every tip that we get. Um, we're also going to be going through the case top to bottom again, knowing that there's progression with evidence and things like that to see, is there anything we could do now that we didn't do uh, even back in 2013? Um, so this is just an ongoing um, look into the case. Okay. 
you know, since you did take over the case in 2013, I, I know you probably can't speak in sp specifics, but um, do you have tips still coming in, trickling in since e even 2013 in, in this window? We do. Uh, we'll get, uh, people will call or email or send anonymous tips and it's just maybe they, they remember seeing a certain vehicle in a certain spot around that time frame that didn't seem right to them and they've held on to it for all this time and now they're finally saying, you know what, I always thought this might be connected to that case, so I'm gonna say something. And they do, which is great. Um, you might have things like that. You might There's a lot of hearsay, so you might have uh, people come in and say, hey, I heard from so-and-so that he heard from so-and-so what might have happened or that there was a connection here, and we look into everything. Um, back in 2013, we teamed up with the FBI enforcement office uh, Special Agent Marcy Defeaty assisted us and together we went and we re-interviewed some of the people that were involved um, back then, back in the original case. Some of them have since deceased, um, but we were making steps in trying to uh, really tie things together and see what else can we do. And so you said a similar review will be conducted in the near future? Correct. Okay. Alrighty. And then I, I guess just my last question for you both, um, Chief Poole, and you kind of touched on this, just um, what do you think the lasting impact of Tammy's disappearances here in Exeter, and um, is it possible for this community to recover for something like that? And I, I guess what, what would it take? You know, I don't know that it only affected Exeter. Exeter was a small town, and it, and it took it hard. One of its children were, were abducted or disappeared, and that, that hits home, but um, I think New Hampshire, all in all, is a small state, and that affected us here. It affected border towns in Maine and Massachusetts, um, and anyone with any kind of heart and soul um, would be affected by the fact that a child was sent to school, parents went to work, and that night everything in their lives changed. Um, that's devastating. I mean, it's just absolutely devastating. The people that work that case, I'm here today because it was devastating. It was devastating to me and my family. And I was having, at that time we were having kids. I, my wife at the time was pregnant with my daughter. So this, this had a, a long lasting effect on those people that were here. I think the residual 35 years later is an associate effect because these guys, some of them probably weren't even born yet. Um, and now they're, they're listening to us that were around talk about what happened. And it's still a devastating issue when someone takes a child, um, an innocent child, and that, the, that just the fact that someone even is even thinking about it is devastating, let alone that they carry it out. I, you know, I recall uh, being a child during that time. I was 10 years old in 1984. Um, and I was in the state of Massachusetts. I recall around the early 80s being, in a, as a kid, worried about someone taking you. Um, because you had the Adam Walsh incident in 1981. Out of Florida. And, and, then, and then several years later, you hear about the Tim Belanger case. And as a, as a kid and your parents, um, you're, you're kind of scared, you know, you're walking around you hear rumors about a black band going to take you and, and things like that, right, as a kid. Mm -hmm. So that was, it really struck nationally.
Chief Valiquet, Chief Pullman, uh, I appreciate you both for taking the time and uh, thank you for joining us. Thank you very much.